Welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. And so as you see on the screen right now, we have a man by the name of Francis Collins. He wrote the book, The Language of God. And this was an important book because, uh, well, for a couple of reasons. One reason is because Francis Collins came about to popularity in the kind of philosophy of religion circles around the same time that the new atheist movement was really uh, hitting a fever pitch. Uh, and he released this book uh, at an important time. I mean, right then we had, uh, around that time, we had the uh, Richard Dawkins, The God Delusion. We had Christopher Hitchens, uh, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. Both of those have been major works in uh, the discussions going on between atheists and Christians, not so much at the higher academic levels, but certainly on YouTube among atheist apologists and Christian apologists. And so uh, because of that, uh, they they were they were important works. Eric Weinstein probably said it best when he said that he was irritated with I don't know if that's the exact word, but frustrated, irritated with the new atheist new atheism. But what it did was it carved out a place for uh, someone to be an atheist in uh, you know the particularly the American culture, but the Western culture without having to. Um, you know, hide that or feel weird about that. It, it made it kind of had a normalizing effect, despite how uh, uh, frustrating it was to Weinstein. Uh, but uh, around that same time, we had this book from Francis Collins, The Language of God, and Collins was the head of the Human Genome Project, one of the most incredible scientific breakthroughs of our time. Uh, this is a man who has released many scientific papers. You cannot question his scientific street cred, and if you're the kind of person that tries to paint all Christians as young earth creationists, uh, Collins affirms evolution and talks about it in the language of God. Now, I don't affirm evolution. I'm also not a young earth creationist in the traditional sense, uh, but that being said, uh, none of those criticisms stick to Collins. And so uh, it's interesting how often Collins is thrown under the bus. And typically, the reason for that is in the book, uh, The Language of God, Collins talks about how when he finally had his conversion experience or when he finally decided to trust in God, he did that because he saw a frozen waterfall and was just struck by the beauty and majesty of the creation there with a frozen waterfall. And people say, well, see, that wasn't a scientific uh, thing at all. And so what I want to do real quick is I want to share with you uh, why... Uh, what real what the true story is? I mean, I've heard atheists, uh, even in debates, I've heard atheists just brush him off. Well, he didn't come to faith because of science; he came to faith because he saw a waterfall. Well, let's just hear it from Francis Collins' own lips as he begins to talk a little bit about that conversion experience. Uh, actually, first, I want to, uh, yeah. Well, first, I'll, I'll just uh, go ahead and start right from here to talk about the worldview question. I think this is a provocative way to begin to think about that because... By the way, this has nothing directly to do with his conversion experience, but this is an amazing image that I haven't seen really shown recently. Uh, used to be apologists would talk about this quite a bit. They, they've stopped doing that so much, and I think that's ridiculous. Uh, this video is from 2016, but I, I want you to see this, uh, or at least it was posted in 2016, but I want you to see this uh, image here. Look at this. Because what you see are two images that look somewhat uh, similar to each other, but they stand in uh, for somewhat different worldview perspectives. This being, of course, a beautiful stained glass window, the rose window in Westminster Cathedral. And this is an unusual view of DNA, not looking at it from the side, but looking down the long axis of DNA, so you see that radial pattern. And the question that many people pose, and which I pose to you tonight, is, okay, those are two worldviews, the scientific and the spiritual. Do you have to choose? 
Do you have to basically throw in your lot with one or the other and neglect the other one? Or is there a possibility here of being someone who could merge these two, not necessarily building a firewall between them, but actually having both of those perspectives uh, within your own experience? I think many people today are arguing that these worldviews are at war and that there is no way to reconcile them. That has not been my experience. And that's what I particularly would like to share this evening, and then I hope we will have some time for questions. Okay, that's all I wanted to, you to see at that point. We're going to get to his uh, testimony about his conversion process in just a few moments. But first, what I wanted you to see here is uh, the way this has in the past been discussed, and he's making a bit of a subtler point, but this is under the surface, obviously, is if you see design on the left-hand side of the screen, you should absolutely see design on the right-hand side of the screen because no one would question that the incredibly intricate and artful uh, and imaginative uh, complex design on the left-hand side of the screen is that of a mind. But yet when we go to the right-hand side of the screen, I'm not just talking about the way it looks. I mean, it, I mean that's kind of a, a nice byproduct that it, when you put them up together this way, there's kind of a similarity in, in the way they look. But the incredible design that is in that, you know, just in general, it, it far surpasses anything on the left-hand side of the screen. Just a pretty interesting little thing there to think about. Uh, the next thing I want you to see, though, is here he begins to talk about what Francis Collins says is that he was functioning uh, in his professional uh, capacity, and he encountered a woman who says, yeah, but what what do you believe? And he says, you know, I, I was he had been raised as an atheist um, at a time when it was not common, uh, at least not to talk about it, And uh, but he had kind of been an atheist in his professional life too, and in his personal life he just didn't think about it too much. And here's someone just kind of sincerely, straightforwardly asked him, well, what do you really believe? And he said, you know, I thought about it. I've always kind of been an atheist. It was convenient to be an atheist, but I, I didn't really apply the scientific rigor to that question that I would with other things. Uh, now, when I say that, I don't mean the scientific rigor in terms of applying natural science to the question, although that's going to be an interesting part of the discussion in just a few moments, but uh, trying to assess the evidence and see where the evidence points and then decide based upon that what he should affirm. So we're going to listen to him begin talking about that right now. By this simple question, doctor, what do you believe? So that troubled me and I thought about it a little bit and realized what the problem was. I was a scientist, or at least I thought I was, and scientists are supposed to make decisions after they look at the data, after they look at the evidence. I had made a decision that there was no God and I'd never really thought about looking at the evidence. That didn't seem like a good thing. It was the decision that I wanted the answer to be, but I had to admit I didn't really know whether I had chosen the answer on the basis of reason or whether because it was a convenient form of uh, perhaps willful blindness uh, to the... <coughs> now notice Collins is talking about how he, didn't, he wanted the truth to be atheism. He wanted it to be the case that there was no God, and it, was kind of a, it may have been a kind of a willful blindness. Evidence. I wasn't sure there was any evidence, but I figured I'd better go find out because I didn't want to be in that spot again. So what did I do? Well, you know, I figured there are those world religions. What do they believe? I'd better find out. And I tried to read through some of those sacred texts, and I got totally confused and frustrated. Okay, so he goes on and talks about how he kind of did this investigation, and then he decided to go and talk to a theologian or a pastor or something. And um, so let's, let's pick up here and uh, see where he begins talking. I think it's here, where he begins talking more about... 
let's see, I'm trying to find it, the evidence. Well, I had to learn more about that. Over the course of the next year, kicking and screaming most of the way, because I did not want this to turn out the way that it seemed to be turning out. Again, this is against his preferences. All right, this is not, and if you doubt, well, yeah, but maybe, maybe he's just saying that. Maybe he's just putting on. This has not been good for his uh, career in this sense. And we'll, we'll talk more about this. Well, it's not that it's been bad for his career, but he's, had, he's invited a lot of criticism because of this. Uh, and we'll talk more about that in just a few moments. I began to realize that the evidence uh, for the existence of God, while not proof, was actually pretty interesting. And it certainly made me realize that atheism would no longer be for me an acceptable choice, that it was the least rational of the options. I won't go through the whole chronology as it actually happened, but let me summarize for you the kinds of arguments that ultimately brought me around to the position of recognizing that belief in God was an entirely satisfying intellectually uh, event, but also something that I was increasingly discovering I had a spiritual hunger for. Okay, now I know I want you to notice what he says. He he's not saying it's because of some waterfall that he saw. That's going to be important later on. But here I want you to see that what he says is that he uh, he he's going to he looked at several arguments and he began to recognize that this is a reasonable position to hold and perhaps one should hold it. And but then it also did reveal to him a spiritual hunger. Now those are two separate though interconnected things. And interestingly, some of the pointers to God had been in front of me all along coming from the study of nature, and I hadn't really thought about them, but here they were. Here's one which seems like an obvious statement, but maybe it's not so obvious. There is something instead of nothing. No reason that should be. This phrase of Wigner, the Nobel laureate in physics, caught my eye because I had been involved, of course, as a graduate student working with quantum mechanics with Schrodinger's equation. And one of the things that had appealed to me so much about mathematics and physics and chemistry was how it was that this particular kind of depiction of matter and energy works. I mean, it really works well. And a theory that is correct often turns out to be simple and beautiful. And why should that be? Why should mathematics be so unreasonably effective in describing nature? Hmm. There's the Big Bang. The fact that the universe had a beginning, as virtually all scientists are now coming. Now, by the way, I'm letting him finish through this list of things that he looked into, but um, we're, we're going we're gonna to talk a little more about these. Coming to the conclusion, about 13.7 billion years ago, in an unimaginable singularity, where the universe, smaller than a golf ball, suddenly appeared and then began flying apart and has been flying apart ever since. And we can calculate that singularity by noticing just how far those galaxies are receding from us and things like the background microwave radiation, the echo of that Big Bang. And of course that presents a difficulty because our science cannot look back beyond that point. And it seems that something... Okay, so I actually I'm not going to let him go through all these. I'll link the video in the description. You can check it out. But uh, if you get through all of them, let's see... Where does he put them all up on the screen? He goes off for a long time on the moral law. But basically you see there the precise fine-tuning uh, of the universe and the moral law he adds to the others that were previously mentioned there. Um, so, you know, the, these are the reasons that he gives. Now, what I want you to see is he, he doesn't... 
it's not just that he saw a waterfall and then decided to believe in God. That's how it's often represented. Um, in fact, uh, let me let me quickly read to you uh, an article that I'll also link from Biologos, where they're talking about uh, this. The article is not about this, but it touches on this, and it's talking about Jerry Coyne, atheist Jerry Coyne. And it says, for the most part, however, Coyne has attacked Collins. This includes posting Harvard psychologist Steven Pinker's criticism of the NIH appointment, expressing serious misgivings that someone so outspoken as Collins about his religious beliefs would be a public face for science. Elsewhere, Coyne rails against Collins' rejection of the conflict thesis and strenuously objects to National Geographic magazine for allowing Collins to spout theology in a short piece called Why I'm a Man of Science and faith. Their coin mocks Collins' account in the language of God, page 225, of how the sight of a frozen waterfall on a nature walk helped stimulate his conversion from atheism to Christianity. Given that coin himself has described how his own vague beliefs in a God were abandoned almost instantly when at 17, he, I was listening, this is a quote from him, I was listening to the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper album, that's in his Faith, faith versus Facts, um, in the front matter, one is faced with questions of fairness and consistency. In fact, these experiences of both Collins and Coyne were deeply subjective and profoundly personal. They should be respected as such. I fail to see why either authentic experience should be mocked. Yeah, it shouldn't be mocked, especially when people have run with this focus on this frozen waterfall and decided that this was the this was what convinced him rather than the evidence. No, no, no. See, Christians believe that the evidence is important for some people in terms of coming to faith, but the the moment of faith, the conversion experience, has to do with a moment of trust and placing your trust and loyalty in Christ. This is what faith, pistis, means. In fact, I've been talking about this a lot on Twitter lately because I thought that this was all handled very well when Michael Jones and Aaron Raw and Eric Hernandez and a whole bunch of others got in on this discussion some several months ago, and I encourage you to go check those things out. You can find it most obviously on uh, Michael Jones' channel, Inspiring Philosophy, and Eric Hernandez. But this idea that atheists seem to think that faith must, uh, we must think of faith in terms of the 21st century English definition that's in English dictionaries of what faith means. Uh, in the Bible, oftentimes when faith, pistis, is translated, uh, it, it's from the word pistis, and it means trust, loyalty, confidence, conviction even, and those things might be on the basis of evidence. In fact, uh, some of the most obvious examples are examples where great evidence is being discussed. Uh, my opinion, and I'm, I mean this very straightforwardly, is that now that this has been clarified, see, it doesn't matter whether you think we have good evidence or not. What matters is what we mean when we say faith. And since you now know what we mean and what the Bible means when it uses the word pistis, if going forward you try to force believers to hold to a 21st century English dictionary understanding of what the word faith means in our context 2,000 years after the fact, instead of what we what biblically-minded Christians mean and what the Bible means when it uses the word pistis, then it can only be understood as, uh, as dishonest because you've now been told, and you don't have to take my word for it, you can look this stuff up for yourself, but it, it means that you're going to have, you can't get this from the YouTube sort of echo chamber. You have to go actually look this up, get a good lexicon, check it out, go to somewhere like studylight.org and you know check check out what pistis means. It's not that difficult, and so uh, this should just should be gone. But since Christians understand belief in one sense to be mental assent, you know, I believe what you're saying to me, uh, belief in another sense, the faith sense is, I'm not going to trust you uh, on the basis of this. I'm going to place my trust. What Collins is describing here is all the evidence that led him to the point of conversion. But sure, there was 
was this moment where he saw this waterfall in the Cascade Mountains that was frozen, and this this was the moment where he it just clicked for him. I can't run from this any longer. But that's not to say that he came to believe in terms of mental ascent or became convinced on the basis of uh, uh, the waterfall. He came became convinced on the basis of the arguments and evidences, it would appear, based on this video. And the waterfall was just the catalyst for his... Um, a full embrace and in, in the faith in terms of trust and loyalty. Um, and and it's, it's so, I have to tell you, it's so frustrating to hear atheists online who just don't know what they're talking about when it comes to the word faith. And I'm not trying to be um, unkind to you, but it's so frustrating to see them say things like, well, you Christians are trying to redefine words and, and do backflips and gymnastics when it's like, no, that's not what's going on. It's exactly the opposite of what's going on. You can happily go get a, a lexicon. Get a lexicon from 100 years ago that came before the modern argument over this issue on YouTube. And you'll see that what the Bible means when it uses the word pistis is so frustrating. But anyway, uh, so so he's been criticized for this. So let's go on now and, and jump to the end where he's considered all these arguments, and here's what he finally says. And so, two years after I began this journey on a hiking trip in the Cascade Mountains up in Oregon, uh, with my mind cleared of those distractions that so often get in the way of realizing what is really true and important, I felt I had reached the point where I no longer had reasons to resist, and I didn't want to resist. I had a hunger. Why does he no longer have reasons to resist? Because of the arguments and the evidences. To give in to this. And so that day, I became a Christian. That all right, so there's his testimony. He doesn't mention the waterfall there, but he does elsewhere on page 225 of the language of God. So, but the thing I want you to notice is when you hear an atheist, or if you come across a video where an atheist is just saying, ah, he just, he just converted because of a waterfall, had nothing to do with, um, with, with his role as a scientist, you send them this video. Now, on the other issue, uh, scientific evidence was a part of the evidence that, that uh, was important to his um, coming to believe that this was all true. But what I want you to see, the overarching scientific principle of taking a look at evidence uh, that that was the, the what he says is his application of what he did in daily life in in terms of his career to now this issue of the truth about the nature of reality and religion and so that's all pretty important now there's one more thing before we go on to these other nine scientists that I want us to take a look at uh, Colin said a moment ago where is the okay you'll see that one of the things that he thought was very compelling was the unreasonable effectiveness of mathematics now I want to I want to point out that recently I did a video um, titled something like, I found the pastor for skeptics. Um, and this is my pastor, uh, Brett Nicholson, and at One Life Church in Evansville, Indiana. And he did a sermon recently that I posted here on the YouTube channel. You can go find it. And uh, he talks about this very issue. And it just is such a great example of how I think, and, and Christians do this too, so I'm not picking on atheists. And I'll say what I always say. If you're an atheist out there and you don't do this sort of thing, then I'm not talking about you. If the shoe doesn't fit, don't wear it. Nevertheless, it has to be mentioned that there are many atheists who commented on that video and commented elsewhere uh, on Twitter and, and other places about uh, just a complete misunderstanding of what was being said when my pastor was discussing these things. And it wasn't because he didn't discuss them well. He discussed them them on a level where a, a 10-year-old in the audience could understand. They just weren't aware of this important area of uh, inquiry and, and, and philosophical and, and some scientific discussion about the unreasonable effectiveness of mathematics. And since I don't think that you're going to take my word for it, I thought I would throw up this recent video from the big conversation uh, that 
um, unbelievable Christian radio puts on out of uh, uh, the UK. And there was a discussion between Sir Roger Penrose and William Lane Craig. And so here is, Sir, and what's so great about this, and what I love about this, I've been willing to look for an opportunity to talk about this, is that Penrose actually accidentally, well, not accidentally, he knows what he's saying, but he lays out something that is such a clear opportunity for Craig to capitalize on and draw out sort of a clear theistic implication or application of this idea that um, that Penrose uh, lays out. So listen to what Penrose says is mysterious. He's, you know, in his thinking about the way the universe is, this is very mysterious for him. Listen to it in, in his own words. The thing's also the three mysteries, if mm. you like. Well, one of these who say they... There's the physical world, you know, things like tables and so on, and what we think of as, as the physical world. Got the physical. Not quite clear when we go deeply into what's going on, <laughs> what that really means, but never mind about that. The physical world, and then there's the mental world, that's our experiences, consciousness, um, feelings about things, mm. so on. And then there's what you call the abstract world. I would be more specific about that. It's a mathematical abstraction, so we're thinking about um, how it is that well let me f secondly explain the mysteries you see Go ahead. Mm. mystery number one is the fact that this world of physics seems to depend so extraordinarily precisely and the more we explore it the more precise we see this is uh, it's so precisely guided by physical by sorry mathematical equations mm. so we have these mathematical Let's not just say equations, that's a bit too specific. Mathematical principles, yes. which, which govern in such a precise way the way this physical world operates. Mm. And there is, if you like, a huge mystery. I'm calling it a mystery, these things, we're never quite sure whether. <laughs> is, is this what Eugene Wigner famously yes. spoke of as, as the unreasonable effectiveness of mathematics? It just seems to be a, exactly. an extraordinarily remarkable fact that mathematics it's the, the, the universe seems to be written in that language and we, we, that we can discover it. That's exactly it, yes. Mm. yes. And the more we, we know about how things operate, I mean, now there's such extraordinary precision there are in measurements. Well, Einstein's general relativity is, is very, very precisely mm. determined. And laws of quantum mechanics and how they inter interrelate with... Okay, now stay with me. So far, what we've got is um, the physical realm the stuff you can touch, right? And we're not sure what exactly all falls into that, but the physical world and the unreasonable applicability of and precision of mathematics. Um, well, even even with gravity in some respects. I mean, how clocks... Einstein, one of the Einstein's predictions is there's a clock up, up high will run more slowly than one down here. Mm. And these... Oh, you mean, yes. That, the, the, the precision is, 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 is extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. But the precision, you know, even, even from, from down here to maybe a, center, a centimeter above, and they can measure the difference. Yes. So the, these are extraordinarily precise. Now, um, okay, it just shows that the mathematical theories, when we really understand them and when, when we get them right, they're still not quite right, that's clear. Uh, but nevertheless, the precision is extraordinary. So that's mystery number one. Mystery number two is how is it that conscious experience mm. can arise when the circumstances seem to be right? Now, it doesn't seem to be probably, <laughs> I can't, I'm just guessing, but I don't think it's present in that glass or in the water <laughs> in the glass. Right. Uh -huh. But nevertheless, it seems to come about with certainly with human beings and I think with other animals. I don't think it's unique to human Certain beings. Certain brain at all. structures somehow seem to give rise to. Yes. 
to this consciousness. And there is a genuine mystery, mm. I think, and it's not just a matter of you know comp complicated comp computations. There's something mm. much more subtle going on. Mm. So that's mystery number two. Now, now notice uh, the, the consciousness is uh, much more subtle than than we ju they just don't have the right computations yet. And mystery number three is our ability to use our conscious understanding to comprehend mathematics mm -hmm. and these very uh, extraordinary uh, and self-consistent but deep ideas which are mm. very far from our experiences so that's the how we how we comprehend mathematics if and, you like and in that sense you you believe that mathematics for instance is discovered rather than invented by Absolutely. us in that sense it, it exists yes. independently yes of us. right yes and 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 one of those great mysteries as you say is the fact that we can access it seems yes. itself a remarkable feat of of reality Right, so you've got these three things. You've got the physical world, you've got mathematics. He framed them as mysteries differently, but you've got the physical world, mathematics, and then our conscious ability to think through those things and apply mathematics in that way. So let's go now to the very teed up William Lane Craig to answer or respond to what Penrose thinks is mysterious and he doesn't have an answer for. So how are these three realms related? For example, the mathematical abstract realm cannot be the source of the physical or conscious mental realm because abstract objects by definition are causally a feat that what he means by that is like and he may explain but like numbers don't do anything like the number seven doesn't cause anything right the the mathematical uh, world doesn't doesn't have causal powers in this way it's part of what it means to be an abstract object the number seven for example has no effect upon anything mm. so the abstract realm cannot provide the source of unity could it be the physical realm that provides the source well rogers already mentioned the second mystery how does the physical give rise to consciousness particularly mm. intentionality the intentionality is the aboutness of our mental states i can think of Right, right. Physical objects aren't about anything. And uh, though there are plenty of atheists in the, in the uh, you know, ready, ready to scoff in the YouTube comments, I'm sure, right now about this, uh, atheists commonly say, well, we just haven't figured it out yet. But well, one day, that's one of our mysteries, but one day we'll figure out the conscious realm. Because after all, every time we couldn't figure out something and we figured it out later, it was, it was uh, you know, naturalistic and all that sort of thing. That's fine, but that's what we call a naturalism of the gaps. That's you putting your 21st century definite English dictionary definition of faith into uh, in, into naturalism, basically. It's not an answer. It's basically saying my worldview doesn't have an answer to that. Think about my summer vacation. No physical object has intentionality. Mm. So the mental is difficult to derive from the physical, and the abstract, it seems to me, is impossible mm. because the mathematical realm is characterized by necessity. These are logically necessary truths, and by its plenitude. There are infinite realms of mathematical objects. And the physical realm, by contrast, is contingent uh, and therefore cannot ground these logical and mathematical truths. And so what are we going to do? <laughs> What's the answer to the, to the unity of these three uh, disconnected things? And it's plausibly finite as well. So the physical can't mm. be the support. Now, what about the mental? Could the mental be the source of these other two realms? Well, in mental causation, we do have the experience of the mental causing physical changes hmm. in our brain. I can will to get up hmm. uh, or to speak. 
Um, similarly, many philosophers have thought that the abstract realm is not really a separate realm that exists by itself, but it, 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 they are ideas in the mind of, uh, of consciousness mm. that they uh, are the, the result of intellection mm. by a mind. Now the but but not but as Penrose agreed with Brierley a moment ago, not because we as humans invented them, but we discovered them. The problem is that no human mind could be the source of the abstract realm, because of it. I should just shut up and let Craig talk. It's plenitude and necessity, whereas we are contingent and finite. So what I want to invite Roger <laughs> to comment on is why couldn't the mental realm include an infinite consciousness? That is to say, an omniscient mind which has created the physical realm and which is the source of the abstract mathematical realm. This would solve the problem of the one and the many. And What I love about this is it's so elegant, straightforward, um, comprehensive, and handles everything well. And for those that might want to say, well, yeah, because you tailored, the, you tailored it that way. No, no, no. We have these three realms, right? The abstract mathematical realm, the physical realm, and the consciousness that, that we are aware of. And the consciousness is the one that is capable of providing the unity for all three. And give you an underlying unity for this um, tripartite metaphysic that you affirm and and what you've just described sounds suspiciously like god roger what do you say to that well you see you're putting it as an interesting uh you're putting it in in the mental world if you like whereas i tend to put it in the in the in the, in the platonic mathematical world you mm. see that that i don't quite see why uh, i mean how do you drive the precision you see just a, a mental thing Anyway, uh, you can go check out that video further. I, there's a great little meme or, or gif that I created. I, I it's like the only one I've ever created out of out of this where uh, Penrose says, that, well, you're a theologian. You're, you're thinking about this the way a, a theologian instead of the way a philosopher, something like that. And Craig, see now, yeah, it's just a great moment because it's so wrong. He's, uh, you know, Craig is one of the great American philosophers right now. And while he is also a theologian, he's going about this philosophically. And it just so happens that it uh, brings you to uh, theological conclusions, uh, theistic conclusions. So uh, this is really interesting. And as we saw, Francis Collins, uh, let's see, where is it? Francis Collins had as one of his, uh, you know, one of the things that was interesting to him, the unreasonable effectiveness of mathematics. So the, the point that I want to drive out of this is um, people hate, people just hate it that Collins is... Uh, su such a celebrated scientist that no one can touch in terms of his scientific, like nobody can take away from his scientific street cred, um, head of the Human Genome Project, and also happens to be a Bible-thumping Christian. They cannot stand that. And uh, it's just, it's just, uh, it's powerful, the reasons. So what they try to do is to say, well, he came to it, you know, he just ignored science and stared at a waterfall. That is such that is such a misleading explanation of what actually happened, and so I hope that this will be powerful to you, and also I hope that you'll be impressed with the unreasonable effectiveness of mathematics. Uh, I thought that was a highlight of the Roger Penrose and William Lane Craig discussion. So I think at this point, at 33 minutes in, I'll just kind of let this die, and um, we'll have a second video where we'll talk about the uh, ten scientists, Francis Collins being one of them, um, who talk about why they believe in God. 
So at that, thanks for being here and I'll see you next time at on, let's see, I'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.